Amen. Thank you, worship team. Um, I love the words of that last song, slow me down so that I can hear you speaking, God. That's what we're always trying to do. I don't know. You probably know this. I hope you know this. But every time we gather, right, we gather, whether virtually or here in person, we sing songs, we speak prayers, we study God's word. The reason we do all of that is so that we can hear God speaking to us. We're actually going to end our time together this morning with taking, again, a little time of silence. I know that silence can be a strange thing in this modern, loud, endlessly busy world that we live in, but we believe that silence might be one of the most powerful opportunities you and I have in our lives, because sometimes when we can just get ourselves to be silent, suddenly that voice of God that was always speaking becomes a little more clear. So we're going to end uh, by doing a little more silence, but in the meantime, uh, we're going to spend some time reading a story from the book of Acts and studying God's word together because we know, uh, both from experience, we believe from what the scripture tells us, uh, that God will strengthen and guide you in your life through his word. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, and I hope uh, that it is indeed strengthening for you in your life. Um, it's Thanksgiving week coming up. Always uh, excited about Thanksgiving. Love Thanksgiving. Love the food. Uh, love that this year, the very next week, is the beginning of the Advent season, so we're looking towards Christmas. Uh, it's just, right, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Come on. Uh, and yet, while these holidays are awesome times, we know that so much of our traditions and, and what we're going to do is being changed, right? Travel plans are getting canceled. Some uh, in some ways, maybe families won't be able to go together. Like we've been hearing almost every day for the last nine months, right? This, this is an unprecedented Thanksgiving, an unprecedented Christmas season coming up. I'll be honest, I'm tired of unprecedented. Can I just get some precedented something in my life, please? I'm ready to be done with this season. And yet, my frustration is not going to change uh, the realities. Uh, my frustration is not a vaccine. Uh, it's not going to make anything better. And so what I have to do, what you have to do, what we have to do, is figure out how to continue on even amidst the disappointments or the frustrations that we have. Uh, the way we're going to do that, ultimately, is by finding our strength to go on, by finding some hope for tomorrow, not in what we see around us, not in whether things are going good or bad or right and wrong with health or with the economy or with job. We're, we're going to make it forward, not by looking around us, but we're going to make it forward rather by looking to our God to give us the strength to go forward. Because here's what we know. If a global pandemic and everything that accompanies it, if that is indeed unprecedented. Here's what's not unprecedented. Suffering is not unprecedented. Grief and loss are not unprecedented. Uh, plans getting ruined, those have all happened to people throughout history in different times, in different ways. And Jesus-following people have found strength and hope from God through all of the seasons of life. And no matter what changes around us, we know that we can make it forward by looking to God for our strength and hope. So that's what we're going to do together because we know that that indeed is powerful and effective 
in our lives. Uh, We're in our sermon series, uh, studying through the book of Acts. We're calling the sermon series One, where we hear about the one God who establishes one church and gives that church one mission. And God's people then make that one mission the one focus of their life. And we're focusing right now on that third piece, the one mission that God has given to his church. Make disciples. How? By going into all nations, by teaching people everything that Jesus taught his disciples, and by baptizing people so that they might grow in their faith. In effect, we here today are doing what Jesus told his first disciples to do. We are teaching people the teachings of Jesus. When people come to faith, we're baptizing them and raising them up in a community of faith. The reason we're doing this today is because the people in the book of Acts did what Jesus told them 2,000 years ago. So we are part of a powerful and beautiful mosaic of people who are doing what Christ has told them to do. But I wonder, you know, maybe you're like me and, you know, uh, maybe you say, yeah, 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 okay, uh, I find strength from God and I know that and, and I read the book of Acts and I see that in the book of Acts people take the teaching of God and they share it with other people. They, they share their hope with other people. They say this is how God strengthens me and it can strengthen you. Carl, I see that happening in the Bible, but Carl, when I try to do that in my life, yeah, I, I try to have a conversation about faith. I, I try to share a story about how God's been meaningful in my life. I I try to do a kind deed in the name of Christ. Carl, when I try to do that, it seems like things never go according to the plan. It seems like internally I I get cold feet or I second guess myself or I stumble over my words or it feels like externally people, they don't want to hear my stories or, or, or they find me annoying or they have questions that I don't know the answer to. It feels, Carl, like things don't go according to the plan. Sure, I can find my strength from God. I've I've experienced that. That's great. But how do I really share my faith? How do I make this mission the one focus of my life when it doesn't go according to the plan? That's a good question, and it turns out that's not a new question. Because the story we're going to read today is a story about Paul and Barnabas continuing their missionary journey of starting churches all around the Roman Empire. And they go to a new town. It's the town of Lystra. And when they go to Lystra, nothing goes even remotely according to the plan. And so here's what we're going to do. We know that in challenging times, we can take the next step forward by finding our strength from God. If you don't know what that's like, reach out to a friend, reach out to a pastor, please talk to somebody because God can give you strength. We don't just say that, we don't just talk about that, it's real, we experience it. But then we're going to explore, when we try to share that strength and hope and faith we have, when we try to share it with others and it doesn't go according to plan, what do we do? And we're going to follow the same pattern we always follow. We're going to read a passage of scripture. We're going to talk a little bit about the history and the context of those people in that time and that place with the hope that by understanding how God's people long ago shared their faith and hope with others, we might be encouraged and instructed today about how we can share our faith in a way that gives hope and new life to others today as well. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to the book of Acts. We are in chapter 14, 
and we're starting in verse 11. Go ahead and open that up. Uh, if you've got a physical Bible, if you want to grab uh, the Bible app on your phone, uh, you can find this scripture there. Uh, Acts 14 verse 11 uh, comes right after Paul and Barnabas have arrived in Lystra. And right when they arrive in Lystra, they perform a healing. Somebody is uh, lame, unable to walk, and like happens in many places in the book of Acts, they heal this man. And right after this healing, which happens in a public place, lots of people see it, right after this healing, we find out what happens next. So here's Acts 14, verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done... They shouted in the Lycaonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So Barnabas and Paul are on this missionary journey. They've been to a couple cities now, and this scene introduces another travel. They just traveled from Iconium to the city of Lystra. It's interesting because Iconium and Lystra are two very different cities. Iconium is kind of the capital. It's the head of this region that they're in. It's probably a more highly educated, a more uh, sort of high-class city. Lystra is much more the middle of nowhere, uh, not necessarily a a travel destination that people would go to. So Paul and Barnabas have traveled from Iconium to Lystra. Uh, One of the things that it seems Luke is trying to do by providing this contrast is remind us that in our lives, when we look at the people around us, there is nobody outside the reach of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, the new life God gives through Christ, is a universal offer for all people, for the people from Iconium and for the people from Lystra. It is available for all people. If ever you thought to yourself, oh, I don't know if I could share my faith with that person, the message of Scripture is clear. God wants all people to know his good news. We see this also. So the city of Lystra had a little bit of a reputation. Um, There's an ancient Roman author. His name is Strabo. And he wrote this book. It's called Geography. And it's literally an exhaustive description of every different region and town and people group of the ancient Roman area. I actually spent quite a bit of time reading some of Strabo 
this last week, and I read the section in which he describes the area in which the city of Lystra was found. And Strabo described it as kind of a rough place to go. Listen to this description from this ancient Roman author about the region that Paul and Barnabas are traveling to right now. But though the people tilled this plain, they lived on the overhanging brows of the mountains or in caves. They were armed for the most part and were wont to overrun the country of others, having mountains that served as walls about their countries. So they lived in caves, they carried clubs, and they liked to run people out of their mountain-fortified city. Let's go visit these friendly people. That sounds like a nice place to travel. I mean, when Paul and Barnabas were in Iconium, in a nice place where the people were nice, okay, they weren't the greatest people. They tried to kill Paul and Barnabas, but still. And then they looked around, where should we go? Oh, let's go to the even meaner, rougher part of town. That's what Paul and Barnabas did. Why? Because they knew that the gospel that had changed their lives, God wanted it for all people. It's a universal invitation. But they get to the town, and like they do in many places, one of the first things that happens is they heal somebody. Now, often when they heal somebody, the crowds gather and they say, tell us about this power that allows you to heal physical uh, uh, challenges. But something very different happens in this town. In this town, Paul and Barnabas heal somebody, and they say, oh, you two must be gods disguised in human form. What in the world kind of a conclusion is that? Why did they think that Barnabas and Paul were gods? I'll be honest, that would not be where I would naturally go if I saw a miraculous healing in front of me. That, that would be the farthest thing from my mind. And yet, the people of Lystra, that is what they thought. Well, the answer to that question is that the people of Lystra had a very different religious belief system than the standard Jewish belief that we've been talking about so far as we've been studying the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas were Jewish in their religious background before they met Christ. A lot of the uh, preaching and sermons that happen are to Jewish congregations. Lystra, however, appears to have no Jewish influence whatsoever. And therefore, what they have instead is a Greco-Roman religious understanding. And as you might know, the Greeks believe in a pantheon of gods, many different gods. Zeus is the head of the gods. Hermes is the messenger god or speaks on behalf of Zeus. There's the goddess of love and the god of the sea. Every god has a different role and a different power. Sometimes the gods get along with one another. Sometimes they get in fights with one another. Sometimes the gods are friendly to humans. Sometimes the gods play tricks on humans. That is the assumption of the Greco-Roman religion that the people of Lystra believed in at the time. And if you were an ancient Roman, you know, lived, lived in ancient Rome, and you wanted to understand this belief system, one of the books you would read was the mythology written by a man named Ovid. And Ovid's most famous work is The Metamorphosis. Now, in Metamorphosis, we hear a really interesting story. 
It's a story about Zeus and Hermes. Zeus, just so you know, he's got a lot of names. So in this story, he's called Jove, but Jove and Zeus, they're the same person. So notice what Ovid tells us about Zeus and Hermes. Here Jove with Hermes came, but in disguise. Of mortal men concealed their deities. One laid aside his thunder, one his rod, and many toilsome steps together trod. Now, this little piece of poetry from Ovid describes Zeus and Hermes disguising themselves to look like humans and then traveling about among the people. So if you lived in Lystra and you'd heard the stories about these gods disguising themselves and doing great works all throughout the region, if you saw two men come to your city and heal somebody that was lame, you might naturally think, oh, this is Zeus and Hermes doing what we've seen them do before. See, Metamorphoses, as a book, it traces all history from the creation of the universe up to the moment that Caesar is named a god. And it is a comprehensive worldview that describes the belief of many ancient people. Well, needless to say, Paul and Barnabas and all of their Jewish religious understanding, they're going to have to change things when they're speaking to people with a different religious understanding. They're going to have to do what we talk about in a number of times around here at Centennial. They're going to have to do the work of contextualization, of taking a set of ideas and helping people with a different worldview, a different understanding, different stories, different beliefs, helping people understand the message that they're giving. And we really see the challenge of this because we know that Paul in particular, as he's going to continue to minister uh, in many different cities, Paul has a standard practice when he goes to a new city. We actually see it uh, both in Paul's life and in other lives all throughout Scripture. Here's one example from earlier in the book of Acts. It says, Paul says, the God of the people of Israel. That's Paul's opening line as he's preaching a sermon in a new city. What does Paul talk about? He talks about the God of the people of Israel. He's referencing the Jewish God. Or here's another uh, example that's going to come a little later in Acts. Paul goes to a new city, and Luke describes Paul's standard practice in going to a new city. Here's Acts chapter 17. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So Paul's standard practice is to go to the Jewish synagogue and talk to people about the Jewish scriptures in order to help them understand that the Jewish Messiah is, in fact, Jesus himself. We saw the exact same practice uh, uh, in the life of Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church uh, back in Acts chapter 7. Stephen started a sermon. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father, Abraham. So Stephen started with this pivotal Old Testament figure of Abraham. Even Jesus himself 
would begin uh, ministry in this way when Jesus was speaking to the disciples after his resurrection, we hear this about Jesus' conversation. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus, Stephen, Paul, they know that when you're speaking to Jewish people, sharing with them the hope of Jesus as the Messiah, you start by speaking about Moses. You start by speaking about Abraham. You start by speaking about the prophets. You start with the shared understanding of the Hebrew Scriptures, and you let that bring you to a conversation about Jesus. Interestingly, in this little passage, where Barnabas and Paul are in Lystra, we hear no reference at all to anything from the Old Testament, to any of the prophets or Moses. We actually don't even hear Paul talk about Jesus. He doesn't even reference Jesus. So Paul normally talks about the Old Testament first and then talks about, different, or some, about Jesus, but this time Paul does things differently. And why does he do things differently? I know the answer is going to shock you. Because he was speaking to a different audience. Right? And because we know this. We know that when we're speaking to different people from different parts of the world or different countries or different cultural backgrounds or different religious backgrounds, we need to use different language in order to have conversations with different people. And maybe you've experienced that, right? Maybe as you've tried to share your faith with other people, Maybe if you've just tried to share a story about how God's been at work in your life, maybe you've experienced, like Barnabas and Paul, how these differences in culture and belief and worldview can make conversations go, kind of turn sideways and not go the way you planned. And that's normal because people speak their own languages. People understand their own stories. Other people don't all see the world the way that we see it. So Barnabas and Paul seem to do three things when they encounter this significant divide between what they're trying to do and how the people receive it. They're trying to point people to God, and instead the people of Lystra go, oh, you guys are gods and we're going to sacrifice animals to you. Paul Barnabas says, this is a big problem. We need to fix it. So here's my invitation. Take a minute. And just consider in your mind, where in your life have you tried to share your faith? Maybe in just a small way. Maybe you've simply tried to share a story about how God's given you hope in your life. Maybe you've done a kind deed in the name of God. Maybe you've had an extended conversation. I don't know what it is, but think about a place where you've tried to share your faith in some way, and it hasn't gone according to the plan. It's kind of turned sideways. Try to think of that. And now consider what we see Paul and Barnabas doing and consider whether that might be instructive for you in your life and in your relationships as well. The first thing we see them doing is they interrupt this broken conversation, right? I mean, broken conversation. I mean, Paul and Barnabas are wanting to talk to them about Jesus and they tried to worship Paul and Barnabas. And immediately, like, no, 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 this is a problem. We need to stop 
this problem. And so the first observation is, if you're trying to have a conversation about faith, and it's just not working, then let's get comfortable stopping that broken conversation. Paul and Barnabas did it in a little bit of an extreme way. They literally tore their clothing, which was a symbol that would have been understood at that time to mean something horrible and blasphemous and terrible was happening. I, I don't recommend you tearing your clothing in the middle of a broken conversation today. It doesn't quite have the same meaning today as it did back then. But we know that if a conversation isn't working, we can say, you know what? Let's stop and try this again. Or, you know what? Can we start this over? We know that if a conversation is broken, we can identify that and say, let's pick this up at a different time when things might go better. The second thing Paul and Barnabas do is they seem to obviously uh, uh, understand the context in which they're doing ministry. And so what we can learn from them is whenever we're having meaningful conversations, something we need to do is we need to ask context questions. We need to come up with the right set of questions that will help us understand what's the gap between my understanding of the world and your understanding of the world. What's the gap between my understanding of God and your understanding of God? Some of the ways we could, some questions we could use would be questions like, what's the question behind the question? Have you ever been in a conversation about this? You know, it's like, uh, Somebody, somebody says to you, uh, hey, so, so tell me about your church. Uh, do you guys believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I don't know if anybody's asked you that, but somebody might ask you that. And they ask you this question, and the question sort of lives up here. Tell me about Jesus. But actually, what that person has on their mind is that long ago, they had an experience at a church that was a really negative experience. Maybe that they got hurt by somebody who called themselves a Christian. Maybe a pastor said something harmful to their life. And so they're asking you a question up here, but behind that question is something totally different. You've probably experienced that yourself, where you're in a conversation and you're talking about something up here, but in your heart, something completely different is going on. We always want to be asking ourselves, what's the question behind the question when I'm in a conversation? Or another way to get to the same idea would be, what is the belief behind the action? The people of Lystra were were wanting to sacrifice animals to Paul and Barnabas. Well, that would be strange unless you had read the Greek mythology. Unless you believed that the gods regularly put on disguises and walked around on earth. If you believed that, then... Starting to worship two human beings would be a perfectly normal thing in our conversations, in our relationships. Are we asking ourselves, what are the beliefs behind the actions that people are making in life? Or last but not least, what is the story behind the experience? We know that in every relationship we have in life, whenever we're having an experience face-to-face with somebody, That experience doesn't live in a neat little box. Rather, that experience lives as the result of years of other experience, years of previous activity, years of conversation. And if we don't spend time understanding 
another person's story that brought them to the present moment, we can almost guarantee our conversations with them about God or faith or hope are going to often go astray. And then here's the final thing, is once we've asked some context questions, once we've said, I'm going to make you the focal point of my life, I want to learn about you and be interested in you and be curious about your story and your belief and the questions you're asking, once we do that and spend some time, and and maybe this is days or months or even years, spend some time getting to know people, then when it comes time to actually talk about faith, we can begin after we've interrupted the broken conversation, after we've asked the context questions, we can then begin at the beginning. We no longer drop into the middle of a long story and think we get it all right, but rather we can begin at the beginning. And that's exactly what we see Paul and Barnabas doing. They pretty quickly pick up on the context. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, the priest of Zeus is coming down with some bulls. We don't speak the language of Lystra, but we kind of figure out that they think we're gods. Likely, at least Paul knew some of the basics of the Greco-Roman mythology. He sort of read the scene and said, ah, okay, I see what's going on here. And so instead of talking about the Jewish scriptures, instead of talking about Jesus, Paul begins at the beginning. He says, let's just get a few things straight. First of all, um, just to make it clear, we are humans like you. We are humans and God is God. Paul differentiates between those two things because that is what the people of Lystra needed. Interestingly, he then talks about God as the creator. God is the creator. We are not. In my mind, Paul is purposefully alluding to Ovid's work, Metamorphosis. We said in Metamorphosis, it started with creation and it came to Caesar, a human being God. And so Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Let's start with creation like you understand. And let's come to, we are not God. The only God in existence is the creator and the rest of us are humans. Paul is speaking a language familiar to the people of Lystra. And then his last step is to say, and since we know that God is the creator of everything, we can look around and we can say, this God must be a good God because we see that God created the earth so that food can just grow up out of it. It's amazing. Trees will grow and just drop fruit into your hand and you can eat it and you'll die without fruit and God created an earth that will feed you. And God makes sun to shine down and rain to come down that you can drink. Paul starts at the beginning. He starts with a common language that both he and the people of Lystra can both understand. And he moves just far enough to say, and we can know that that God who created everything is good. The implication is, that Paul continued the conversation from there one step at a time, not jumping over steps, but following the process. And so that brings us back to me and to you. As we think about how just like in the book of Acts, people are making 
the mission of God, the one focus of their life. And what that means is whatever strength and hope and life we have from God, we want to share it with others as we're thinking about, as we're considering how do we make sharing our faith a central focus of our whole life, we have to ask ourselves, what's your next move going to be? And I've got two questions that I just would like to ask you to consider. As we, as we look at what Barnabas and Paul did, consider these two questions in your life. First of all, where are you speaking about your faith? Where is it? What's the context? What's the, what's, the, uh, what's the name? What's the face? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Is it a co-worker? Is it somebody you met on the street? Where are you speaking about your faith? Can we honestly say that in our lives, we're just looking for opportunities to share the hope we have in Christ? We know that we live in a world that desperately needs it, and so where are we doing it? Um, after the first service, I was having a conversation with uh, Jay and Tejan Smith, and Jay mentioned that um, this story reminded him of the imagery of agriculture, of, of growing f- produce from the earth. And as he and I were talking, I was reminded of uh, a scene from the Little House on the Prairie books. Me and my kids not long ago read through all the Little House on the Prairie books, and it was great. And there's this one scene where they move to a new Uh, farmhouse, and the dad is getting ready to plant his crops, but all the, uh, the soil has this thick, heavy grass covering all of it. And if you were to just plow that soil, the grass would still be so, you know, overwhelming, nothing would possibly grow. So Pa, as he goes in the story, had to first cut out big plugs of grass and roll it up and rip it out. He had to remove the grass first. And after he removed the grass, then he had to till the soil significantly, maybe even removing rocks as well. And only after he had removed the grass, plowed and tilled the soil, removed the the rocks, only after that could he then start planting some seeds. That's how it is with sharing our faith. You know, sometimes we read stories in the Bible where somebody gets up and preaches one sermon and everybody comes to faith. That's brilliant when it happens, but more often than not, there were dozens, maybe hundreds of small steps that had to come first before the seeds of faith were actually planted. So when you think about where you're speaking about your faith in your life, as you consider how you can simply share with others the experience you've had of God giving you new life, remember, you might just be helping remove some of that thick grass. You might just be starting to plow the hardened soil. You might just be starting to remove some of the rocks out of the way. We often have no way to know which step we're going to help facilitate, but we can trust That God, through the Holy Spirit, will do that work through us, whether or not we understand which step we're on. Trusting that when the time comes, we might be the one who helps plant that actual seed of faith. But no matter what step of the process we're in, every step is good and critical as we share our faith with others. And here's the second question then. 
Hopefully God's prompted you. Hopefully God's called somebody to your mind that you can speak with about your faith. And here's a great way to go about it. You, you know, sometimes when we talk about sharing our faith, uh, there, there's, there's people out there or there, there's even, you know, books you might read that says sharing your faith means you have to talk at somebody and you have to explain a lot of things and you have to say a lot of things so that they get everything in your brain. Well, the example of Paul and Barnabas suggests we can actually do something very different. We can actually begin instead by investigating their story, their beliefs, and their questions. And then continue the question or continue the conversation from wherever they let it begin. So, I'm going to give you a couple, a couple challenges. If you've asked this question, where am I speaking about my faith? And how can I identify that conversation and really start prioritizing the other person, listening to them, hearing their story? And I want to challenge you with a couple things. First of all, like we said at the beginning, our hope is that as we gather to sing and pray and read God's word, my words and the words of the song are not the most important things, but rather the words of God speaking to us We hope and pray through these gatherings, the words of God are the most important words more than anything else. As you consider where you're speaking about your faith, the places that God sends you are the critical places for you to go. So, we're going into the holiday season. It's Thanksgiving this week. Would you consider this challenge? Would you set aside 20 minutes a day for at least five days over the next week, 20 minutes a day to push aside the distraction. Maybe you need to wake up early in the morning. Maybe you need to stay up a little later after the kids are in bed. Maybe you need to use your lunch break at work. I don't know. Can you get 20 minutes a day for five days this next week to stop, to sit in some silence, and to simply ask God, God, will you show me where I can speak about my faith, and then just stop speaking. I'm reminded of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 46, from whom we get this instruction from God to be still and know that I am God. There's a place for prayer that is uh, energetic and, and passionate with lots of words, but there's a place for prayer with stillness, and silence. Would you take 20 minutes, five days this week, to practice some stillness and silence so that God can speak to your life? And then, if you do that, would you be willing to commit to whatever you hear God prompting you do? Whatever conversation God might be prompting you to have, would you commit to saying, yes, God, I will go where you send me. With that in mind, I want to practice that prayer right now for just a minute by creating some space for silence. I know for some people, silence is familiar and comforting and life-giving. For others, it might be unfamiliar or strange. But I just encourage you to be reminded that God's people have found true strength from God when we can get ourselves to stop and be still before him. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, 
wrote it this way as we consider all the challenges in the world around us, as we consider whatever, whatever frustrations or loss or grief we might have and the people around us might have. The reason we find stillness to come before God is because, as Paul said, what then shall we say in response to all the suffering in the world around us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Pray with me. God, we desire to be people who make the mission you've given us, the mission of making disciples. We desire to be people who make that the one focus of our lives. But God, we confess that often we stumble or fall. We get discouraged or distracted along the way. These conversations don't go the way we planned. Help us look for strength and guidance, not in ourselves, not in the world around us, but rather to look for our strength and our guidance in you alone. And God, I would pray this week that we might commit to spending regular time being still and knowing that you are God. Maybe it's 20 minutes Maybe for some, it's more than that. Maybe for some, they need to start with something smaller, just five minutes. Help us commit to regular time this week just to be still and know you are God so that we can get our life from you that we share with others. And now, God, in this moment, help us to practice that stillness together. God, again, we acknowledge that the challenges we face in our lives are greater than we can handle on our own. Help us to come back always to you, to seek our strength in you, so that the gift of life we receive from you, we might joyfully share with others whom we know are so desperate for some strength and comfort in their lives as well. May the new life you have given all people through Christ be made real in our world through our community. We pray this all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.